I come from the space in between, not the American dream, but the immigrant imagination. I come from Heritage Village, from a house on a hill, not at the top or at the bottom, but in the middle. I come from a space in between. I come from Pohe Poi and Prasad, though I never wanted it on my birthdays. You see, I wanted pizza and slumber parties because I come from the space in between. Peace. That was just a little freestyle poetry I wrote. My name is Aparva Pandey, and this is my brother. Hi, I'm Swapnil Pandey. And we're here today to talk about that space in between. My brother and I are Indians who grew up in the U.S., Richmond, Virginia, to be specific. We're in our 20s. Swapnil is in his very early 20s, and I am in my very late 20s. Like many of you, we have been trying to find our way of authentically contributing to the racial justice movement. Over the past few months, the United States has been grappling with the issue and impacts of systemic racism. The problem isn't new. It's been around since the birth of the country, but it has been pushed to the forefront of our national consciousness by the killings of George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery, who are only the latest in the countless series of Black individuals senselessly killed. After each death, we decry what happened and say it can't happen again. But each time, yet again, it does. There's something about this moment that feels different. More and more people who I have never seen do so before are starting to engage with the root of the problem. They're starting to learn about, talk about, and act against systemic racism. But throughout my life, I felt that race is a topic that the Indian community shies away from, both internally within friends and family, and externally as a community within America. And being in the middle of a pandemic, it's hard right now for us to gather to process what's happening, and to understand the policies and actions that led us to where we are today. So we wanted to start a conversation with you, our extended family, the Richmond Indian community, on the topic of race and racism in America especially as it pertains to the Indian community. As called out in the opening verse, Indians in America fall in an interesting in-between area, neither black nor white. As we build homes and lives in this country, we have experienced acts of racism again and again. But our relationship to this country is more complicated than that. We are not just the victims. As a community, we have biases ingrained in our culture as well, harmful biases against people with darker skin and stereotypes about people with different cultures. And through these, we have contributed to the racism in America. Our goal here is to explore that tension, explore how we as Indians both face racism and participate in racism in order to understand how we fit into the puzzle of race in America. First, we're going to start off with some experiences with racism. We as Indians experience the full range of racism. You'll hear members of our community talk about the microaggressions they've encountered to the flat-out violence they've experienced. We're starting off with Akash, who you heard in our opening verse. He's a fifth grade teacher. 
My name is Akash, and I believe we are best equipped to handle conversations around racism and our role within its systems when we tell our stories and lead with our identity and personality. Uh, to me, racism is a social construct. The central idea behind racism is white supremacy, which leads to structures and systems such as colonialism and slavery that privilege white people over all people, resulting in a constructed racial hierarchy where white people are at the top and black people are at the bottom and then people in between obviously occupy that space in between. So my experience with racism is one of a socially constructed in-betweenness, feeling neither white nor black, knowing I should be proud to be brown, but still not feeling it all the time, and in fact working hard to distance myself from brownness. I grew up in Farmington Hills, Michigan, a suburb of Detroit. Though like most suburbs, it was majority white, there was and continues to be a large Indian population many newly immigrated folks, many young families, and even some older families who came over in the 1960s and 70s after civil rights legislation allowed uh, larger numbers of immigrants from Asia. I loved hip-hop music and basketball because they allowed me to connect with a range of different kids growing up, and it continues to do so. We moved to Midlothian, Virginia in 2011, and that's where my family has settled. I attended Midlothian High School, a very white school. Uh, and on one of my first few days at school, I was called Muhammad. I wasn't sure if it was a racial slur or if the kid genuinely thought I was Muhammad. There was another new brown boy uh, named Muhammad at that time as well. But regardless of his intent, mixing up two brown people is racist. It will always be racist. It always has been racist. But I never said anything about it. Instead, I saw it at that time to work hard, to outwork everyone, to prove my place at Midlothian High School. And at the end of it, I felt like I delivered. I thought I had the accolades to prove it. Uh, enter here the idea of the model minority myth. According to Teaching Tolerance, the model minority myth is based in racialized stereotypes. It perpetuates a narrative in which Asian American children are whiz kids or geniuses. This myth characterizes Asian Americans as a polite, law-abiding group who have achieved a higher level of success than the general population through some combination of innate talent and pull yourselves up by your bootstraps, immigrant striving. Think about the spelling bee and how there are so many Indians and Asians in general. Are Indians inherently better at spelling? No, but the model minority myth works to create that stereotype. Like all stereotypes, the model minority myth erases the difference, differences among individuals. And it even erases the differences among uh, Asians and South Asians. For example, the model minority myth erases many Bangladeshi folks who are low income, might not have um, documented immigration status, etc., lower levels of education that don't privilege their identities as they do with maybe Indian identities. At first, the model minority myth doesn't sound so bad. Sure, it's a stereotype, but it seems positive. Our next speaker, Bari, explains why it might not be as great as it sounds. We've been kind of characterized as the, you know, like model minority. 
and that own stereotype kind of perpetuates certain racism certain racism because we're expected to be at certain standards and be a certain way based on how society has dictated we're supposed to be as an individual and that genuinely impacts a person's mental health and therein lies the problem the model minority myth erases individuals and sets an unfairly high standard it also lays out an expectation for how you're supposed to meet those standards meekly with your head down causing no problems for anyone else and racism against indian kids in the school system extends beyond just the model minority myth it's fair to say that indians have faced their own form of racism you know from you know jokes when you're speaking in your mother tongue people making fun of that to the way we're supposed to act or supposed to be in public to like you know like oh your food smells weird and just all these different things and growing up in the school system especially in america that's something that a lot of us had have had to face and deal with on our own and we never really called it out because we didn't recognize that was even like an option because we just kind of you know took it dealt with it on our own and that certainly like hurt someone and can cause a lot of insecurities and so as a teenager from a child i've dealt with my own struggles I think the way Pari phrased it, we never really called it out because we didn't even realize that was an option, is so true and is just such an apt way of putting it. It's cross-generational too. You can see people in our generation doing it, and you can see people in our parents' generation doing it. Here's Bushan Uncle talking about his experience. Racism has many dimensions. the way it manifests on the streets could be very different from how it could be experienced in intellectual professional settings being more exposed to the latter i have experienced the feeling of an outsider many a times everyone used to be fine as long as i'm quietly doing what i'm told to do but as soon as i would share my opinion or point out shortcomings i would see feelings of disbelief in others how can this person coming from a third world country living here on the mercy of a work visa have audacity to challenge his masters sadly these masters were white as well as blacks i remember having to struggle many times harder to help put my point across and on the streets so many times i have heard you are in this country taking our jobs from us I got used to it considering it's a lesser evil a price i have to pay rather than having to go back to the conditions that i escaped from next we have a clip of rajesh uncle sharing his experience this is rajesh i would like to share an experience which happened almost 25 years ago when i had already been in this country for 8 years with 2 years in grad school and work life of 6 years on the west coast I was returning from India and had a changeover in an airport in the Midwest. After picking up my bags from the carousel, I was pushing my cards cart towards customs clearance. As I was trying to make my way to the end of the line, this guy thought that I was cutting in and yelled, "Hey, this is America. You need to go to the end of the line." Now there were others too who had picked their luggage and making their way to the end of the line. and having been in this country for 8 years i was aware of its ways so i was following everyone ahead of me to get to the end of the line but for whatever reason this person decided to single me out i had never faced such a behavior on the west coast 
I yelled my answer back to him. I know this is America. I am making my way to the end of the line. Which everyone in the line around him heard and he just nodded. It could possibly just be an awareness issue in the Midwest. We eventually ended up living there for 13 years and developed good friends with our neighbors. To avoid further stereotypes, we did have to pick a diverse neighborhood and a school district. That sentiment, get to the back of the line, is such a common sentiment that immigrants encounter. Whether it's in terms of jobs, housing, economic security, get to the back of the line to get a piece of the American dream. There's another common refrain you constantly hear as an immigrant, at work, meeting new people, in Ubers. Here's Govind, our dad, talking about the constant question, no, but where are you really from? Almost all of us have faced this question so many times. No, I mean, where are you really from? Most of the time we just brush brush it off and proudly say, oh yes, I'm from India. But have you thought if there is really a need to ask that question? If you just say, I'm from Washington, D.C., is that not enough? And we've seen that that racism can turn from comments on the street to flat-out violence. It could be as simple as such question to various serious, very serious things like hate crimes or even many times killings because someone thought their jobs were being taken away or they mistook somebody to belong to some particular community. Uh, so, so many killings have happened in the recent past due to such reasons. In fact, according to a recent report called Communities on Fire by the Washington DC based group called South Asian Americans Leading Together, or SAALT, hate crimes against American Indians and other South Asian Americans surged by a whopping 45% just between November 2016 to November 2017. Just a couple of years back, to give an example, a drunken racist walked into a bar in Kansas and shot two Indians shouting, get out of my country. A young 32-year Srinivas, hard-working young engineer, lost his life due to this incident, and there have been many others in other incidents like this. Uh, these voices are increasing, uh, and sometimes it is very blatant, but the problem is many a times it is very subtle, and uh, it is unsaid, but very well understood between folks thinking the same way against a particular community. These malicious words and violent attacks are unfair and are painful to hear about. Many Indian people feel angry hearing these stories, as many of you probably do. How could people treat us like this? We're just trying to make a living. We're just trying to raise our families. We're just trying to enjoy life, just like you are. And yet, because of some internal bias, you don't treat us as equal. With these experiences, we can only start to imagine how the Black community in the U.S. feels when every few months another individual is killed because of police brutality. Think about how it would feel if you couldn't get a job that you're perfectly qualified for due to your race. Think about how it feels when, as a community, 
Black folks in America have been kept from accessing the housing, finance, education, and so much more, the building blocks of careers and lives, and have been prevented from accessing these at equal levels for hundreds of years. The inequality of opportunity is staggering. While we are immigrants to this country and have faced challenges in building new lives here, as a collective, we have a great amount of privilege in this country. We have the ability to access incredible education, strong socioeconomic standing, and the perception of us as smart and hardworking that we discussed earlier when talking about the model minority myth. A quick aside here to say, the model minority myth in and of itself is racist and makes it difficult for us to reach the highest ranks, but the stereotype is helpful to get a foot in the door. There are an increasing number of Indian CEOs, though all men, of large companies. We have power in this country. But as a collective, we have been largely silent when it comes to standing up for the civil liberties of the Black community. We have not used our power to uplift those who lifted us up, who paved the way for the wave of migration in the 80s and the 90s. And through inaction and silence, we have contributed to the continuation of racist policies and structures in the U.S. In our next episode, Rohan talks about his personal experiences with racism and how he perceives the Indian community's silence regarding racism in America.